Hello, and welcome to Bizarre and Fascinating Details Podcast. I am your host, Sarah, and I've got Darcy with me, a little sick on the other end. How's it going, Darcy? Yeah, I'm making it, making it. Not, making it happen. Not feeling above the weather, I would say, under the weather. Well, yeah. we'll, we'll try to make it brief tonight so that you can rest. Sounds good. Okay. Well, I'm going to start it off then and talk about a couple of cases in the news recently. I don't know if you saw this, but the update on the Iowa murder suspect um, that killed the Molly Tibbetts. Yes. Did you hear that? He's yes. now blaming mystery men. Yes. <laughs> so for those of you who don't recall this case, this gentleman killed this woman in Iowa and left her body under corn stalks in the field. But anyway... Iowa City, Iowa, the man on trial for the 2018 abduction and stabbing death of a University of Iowa student claimed for the first time Wednesday that two masked men were responsible for the crime but forced him to take part at gunpoint. Mm-hmm. In a surprise development, the defense called Christian Bahia Riviera as a witness at his own first-degree murder trial. He admitted that his black car was the one seen in the surveillance video circling Molly Tibbetts while she was jogging in Brooklyn, Iowa, July 18th. 2018. He also acknowledged that she ended up in his trunk, that he hid her body in a cornfield, and that he told investigators where to find it a month later. But the farm laborer presented a different narrative about what happened than the prosecutors did, denying that he was responsible for the stab wounds to Tibbetts' head, neck, and chest that caused her death. This man said the two armed men, who were wearing black and had their faces covered by stocking caps, shoved him or excuse me, showed up at his trailer after he finished showering that evening. He says the men directed him to get into his car and drive, and they passed Tibbetts as she ran several times before directing him to stop. Bahia Riviera, 26, said a man with a knife got out of the car and walked down the rural road. The man was gone for about 10 minutes as the second man in the backseat of the car grew nervous, saying, come on, Jack, he claimed. The defendant said he didn't know the man's ident- the men's identities, but his lawyers have tried to raise suspicions about Tibbetts' boyfriend, Dalton Jack, who admitted to an affair with another woman and past anger problems. So the article you read says that they just happened to pass her? Yeah. The defendant said he didn't know the men's identities, but his lawyers have tried to raise suspicions about Tibbetts' boyfriend, Dalton Jack, who admitted to an affair, etc., Bahia Riviera said the men loaded something into his trunk, directing him to drive several miles to a rural area, turn off the car, wait a few minutes, and leave. They said they knew his ex-girlfriend and young daughter and that they would harm him if he ever told anyone what happened. Riviera said the men took off on foot down the road and he never saw them again. He says he opened the trunk a few minutes later and found her body, which he said was heavy as he carried it to the cornfield. He said he covered her body with corn socks because he didn't want her to be too exposed to the sun and then left and never planned to discuss what happened again. He said that he left Tibbetts' phone, Fitbit, and earbuds on the side of the road. He said that he wasn't truthful when detectives began questioning him about Tibbetts' disappearance on August 20th, 2018 because he was worried about his daughter's safety. Back then, he said he had approached Tibbetts as she ran, fought with her after she threatened to call police, and then blacked out before hiding her body. He says he agreed to lead investigators to her body early next day because he was tired and wanted the interrogation to end. So this whole story is just, uh, I don't believe any of it. No. So this man recounted growing up poor in southern Mexico and illegally coming to the U.S. after he turned 17, crossing a river into Texas on an inflatable raft with 10 other people. 
He immediately went to live in Iowa, where his father's brother had settled and got a job milking cows. He's been jailed since August 2018 and worked 12-hour days prior to that and was careful to avoid police for fear of deportation. He said he never had contact with law enforcement until investigators came looking into Tibbetts' disappearance, identified his vehicle on a homeowner surveillance video on her running route. So they had pretty much said, here, this, this guy and his vehicle showed up in the surveillance videos. Um, legal experts had not expected this man to testify. His lawyer said during jury selection that he was torn on whether to call his client as a witness, that if he didn't testify, it would look like he had something to hide, but that if he did, he might be seen as trying to save himself. So they perked up when he took the witness stand and prosecutors furiously took notes when he testified. He showed little emotion, but his voice dropped and slightly trembled as he discussed the men's alleged threats to his daughter. The defense rested his case Wednesday, closing arguments in the week-long trial uh, were scheduled for this last Thursday, and he faces life in prison if he's convicted. He certainly had a long time to figure his story out, but it seems like there are multiple versions of, of that even. Yeah, because the one that I read said that he said that they got in his car and they made him drive around looking specifically for Molly. I wouldn't doubt Not it. Not that they just came upon I wouldn't her. doubt it. Because he's implying I mean, that her boyfriend was somehow involved in getting rid of her. So why would right. they just randomly look for some girl? They would definitely be out looking for right. her. But it's awfully convenient for him to tell a story about the boyfriend who's been cleared by police already. Yeah. yeah. But he was cleared like right away because he was dog sitting or something like in a completely different area. Yeah. It seems as though that's a common version of a defense strategy that is used in cases that I've heard before. Two masked men right. came upon me and directed me to do this. And I had to follow them. Because they threatened What's that me. one where it was like in San Diego <clears throat> and he said that they told him that they made him go to Mexico? Yeah, that was, I believe, the uh, wealthy gentleman with his wife. Remember, he killed yeah. his wife. Yeah, and he sounded like a high on the yeah. phone. Yeah, and they told him basically, I think, and Chadwick yeah. or Chad... Is it Chadwick? Andrew Chadwick? Something like that. Yeah. Well, and then he said they made him drive. And just, I don't know. It seems like such a but sketchy like, way to like try to make an excuse. And the, the, the way the attorney talked about that, like, well, it would make it seem like he has something to hide if he didn't testify. Yeah. So we're going to let him get up there and say that? That seems like something like, an I attorney don't... would never say to their client. Most of the time, they no. don't want their client to testify. But no. um, let me just give you all a hint. The excuse of some masked men made me do it never works. <laughs> never in the history yeah. of testimony has that ever worked. And now that, that I'm thinking about it, I do feel like I recall, and I'll look for the article, but I feel like I recall that he didn't confess to any of it until they brought um, ICE into the interrogation mm -hmm. room, uh, Immigration and Custom Enforcement, um, because he's unregistered. Is that yeah. correct? Mm -hmm. So... That may be part of it, too. Possibly. I don't want to speculate, though, um, at this point. So earlier today, an Iowa jury actually convicted him of first-degree murder in the 2008 killing of college student Molly Tibbetts, whose slaying became a hot-button political issue, yes, because he was unregistered. Um, so clearly the masked men making me do it didn't work for him either. Yeah. 
So um, Tibbetts had been stabbed between 7 and 12 times in the chest, ribs, neck, and skull. Um, and he had to, R- Rivera had to um, participate in the court proceedings with the translator. He could have been convicted of second-degree murder or manslaughter, but once jurors agreed on guilt on the top charge, those lesser options became moot. Um, the district judge ordered Rivera into custody with no bail and set his sentencing for July 15th. Interesting. So, yeah, so he will be, in about six weeks, he will be sentenced, and it's up to life in, I believe, life in prison, right, yeah. is what you said? Uh-huh. I don't think that, I don't yeah, think the death yeah. penalty is on the table. Yeah, and this is earlier in the trial, defense lawyers had tried to infer that to its boyfriend, Dalton Jack, was unfaithful and struggled with anger, anger issues, but the boyfriend was working at a construction job more than 100 miles away in Dubuque when Tibbet went missing. So, um... I mean, I, I don't think there's any surprise in this conviction. Oh, here's, here's something interesting. So, his defense attorneys, I believe is a married couple, Chad and Jennifer Freeze, said that their client told them about the masked man when they first met him nearly three years ago. Quote, he'd never varied from that version of events, not one detail. So we had to get something up there. We thought the jury needed to hear directly from him. And Jennifer Freeze said that the tale of the masked attackers was not made up at a later desperate hour. Quote, if we were going to make something up, we would have come up with something better than that. You'd hope. Right. But um, that's it, right? Yeah. Yeah. And then it just talks about the political issue because... He was undocumented. He's undocumented, and it's we're not going to get into that. But interesting development today, right before recording. Yeah, I mean, but it sounds like he's been here for a long time anyway. So I don't really right. think you consider that you can consider that an issue at this point. But in any case, next article that I saw that I was particularly disturbed by, and I don't know if you saw this one, but Fargo man commits suicide in court after bad news from the judge. A disturb where Fargo. Oh. A disturbing scene rocked a federal courthouse in Fargo this last week when a man, moments after hearing his fate, stood up and slit his own throat. Holy According moly. to U.S. Marshals. After the verdict was read in Quentin Burdick's courthouse, the convict stood up and slashed his throat ear to ear with either a pen or a plastic shank. Oh. Law enforcement officers responded to 911 calls around 2 p.m. A witness said that he killed himself after getting bad news from the judge. North Dakota U.S. Marshal Dallas Carlson said the jury had just returned a partial guilty verdict against the man who faced stalking-related charges. Carlson said the sharp object used might have been made of plastic. The marshals had also said the jury had left the courtroom at that point. Thank God. Wow. But the courtroom staff and others witnessed the incident. Security officers and deputy marshals tried life-saving measures but were unsuccessful. The FBI is investigating the matter. No further information is immediately available. But can you imagine? No. How traumatic that would be. Thank God the jury had been excused. I don't think judges and court personnel get paid enough to have to deal with seeing something like that. That's got to be like deeply, deeply traumatic. Wow. Just bonkers. And with a plastic object, that's got to be like hardcore yeah, that's not... You're not like using a yeah, surgeon's scalpel to me, where it's easy. Yeah, that's got to be what the FBI is investigating, how it was that he had this weapon, yeah. right? Or not weapon, but this yeah. tool. 
Wow. No. Crazy case. Um, let's go ahead and jump into the main case for the day. Alyssa Bromfield was born in the early 90s and grew up outside of Chicago with a circle of close friends. She loved crime shows. She was a huge fan of true crime and she loved law and order. She had an awesome sense of humor. She was athletic, friendly, and driven to succeed in school. She was studying forensic psychology at Western Illinois University. And by 2012, she was a few months shy of her graduation. She was very positive and was known to be able to take any situation and make it positive, regardless of how hard it may seem on the outside. While she was in school, and actually before she started college, she began working in the garden center at the Home Depot. She didn't actually work for the Home Depot. She worked for a third-party vendor that came in and dealt with handling the plants, like watering them and caring for them in the garden oh, okay. centers. Uh-huh. Um, and she was just kind of doing that until she was able to get into her chosen career field. And she was going to work in the, in the police, either for the police or as an outside forensic psychologist um, that's hired by the police. Mm-hmm. So she, was really, she knew what her career path was. Although she was a few hours from home at university, she had one of her best friends, Olivia, with her, who was going to the same college. So Western Illinois University is located in, in Macomb, Illinois. I think it's called Macomb, which is about 250 miles west of Chicago and about 200 miles from Plainfield, which is where Alyssa and Olivia grew up. So is it still kind of like north Illinois where Chicago is or like? No, it's um, south, south, southwest. Southwest, okay, yeah. gotcha. Mm-hmm. So Alyssa and her friend did well in school, and it wasn't long until Alyssa met a guy in her junior year. He was actually the friend of Olivia's boyfriend, and she would visit him when Olivia went to visit her boyfriend. And although the relationship never turned formal, Alyssa got pregnant. <clears throat> yeah. But... Although it seemed like it might be a tough thing for anyone else to deal with, she told her parents she was going to have a baby and intended to name the baby Ava Lucille. So she was determined to make something positive Mm -hmm. out of this. And once she told her parents, that was kind of the first hurdle, and she was making it work. Mm -hmm. And even though the baby's father didn't want to be involved in raising the baby, Alyssa was excited to be a mom. So by July 2012... Alyssa was struggling through morning sickness and trying to stay super positive. And she'd been working at Home Depot for about five years by then, since she was 16. So as part of the position, workers had to do a certain amount of physical labor and heavy lifting. But in preparation for her baby being born, Alyssa let her supervisor know that she would be out um, with the birth and would likely need light duty toward the end of her pregnancy. Sure. But he was very unhappy when she told him this. And I think at that point, it started to become clear that this relationship that she had with her boss was not normal. So Alyssa liked her job, taking care of the plants, but she had a boss named Brian Cooper, and he was another story altogether. According to friends and family, Cooper was unhappy that Alyssa was pregnant and was not afraid to let her know it. Um, And this relationship was something that was really interesting because she treated him kind of like he was one of the people that everyone felt sorry for and she was trying to be friends with him and and trying to assist this poor underdog Uh but he was telling people in the meantime that she was his girlfriend when she wasn't oh like she had no she made it very very clear to everyone around them 
that she had no interest in him like that, that she, they were just friends that she was helping him. She would go feed his dogs for him when he was out of town, take care of his dogs and whatnot. He was 35 at the time. But her being visibly pregnant is not, is going to punch a hole in that story. Well, he started to go back and forth where half the time he would be like, you are a slut and a whore. And he would throw things at her. So he was calling her names and throwing things at her in front of customers and witnesses and then on the other hand, he was like, oh, I'm so sorry. Let me help you. I'll take care of you and the baby as soon as the baby's born. Like, he was just super, like, uh-uh. back and forth and just way creepy. He seemed to be really pissed, too, that she allowed herself to get pregnant in the first place. <laughs> and her family believed that she just didn't know that she was allowed to report him. Yeah. And some of them thought that she had reported him. But I think all of them kind of agreed that she was afraid she might lose her job. And she, sure. since she had a baby coming soon, she was really concerned about that. Yeah. So she ended up brushing off his behavior and ignored what others thought was a one-sided crush by her boss, Brian. And being the sort of person that kind of shies away and from conflict and attempts to stay positive at all times, she ignored the warning signs from this guy. Her friends and family could see it, though, even if she couldn't. And they repeated that he excuse me, they reported that he'd been following her around, making sure he had the same schedule as her. And he did all of her training and incorporated himself into her life as much as he possibly could, Mm -mm. including like telling her when her schedule was going to be what, and if she could, could take lunch outside of Home Depot. He was really, really overbearing, according to her friends and family. But on the other hand, she did go over to his house to take care of his dogs and she texted with him outside of work and she kind of let him get away with it. Like if she was so disinterested and repulsed by this guy, then she should have reported him and broke off that contact. But I think there was kind of some people that thought maybe she was afraid of losing her job. Maybe she just felt sorry for him. And and he was, you know, one of those sort of people that she had to help. Yeah. Because she was a good person, but I think there's kind of some conflicting information in the background about why she let him be a part of her life, but she did. She let him be part of her life. In return, this dude was a complete dick. He was interchangeably mean and nice, one minute berating her for making the mistake of getting pregnant, and the next telling her he was going to help her raise her baby, which to me seems super creepy. Why would you want to have him? No. Anywhere near your baby. Um, and then he's also telling her that she can stay at his place. He's going to get an extra room made up and she has this bad living situation because she's still at home. So he's offering her, hey, come stay at my place. I'll get this extra room made up for you. And she's like, what, 21? She's 21 and he's 35. So and there's some age In a vulnerable there. state. So like he's yeah. clearly just taking advantage of, of yeah. the situation here. Absolutely. And the interchange between them seemed somewhat friendly. If you read through their text messages, she kept it really low key though all the time. And the text exchanges always seemed non-romantic. Mm-hmm. So there was no way you could misconstrue their relationship as being boyfriend, girlfriend. But in any case, in August, 2012, Cooper invites her to his sister's wedding in Wisconsin. And I think there was, I think she initially said no, that she wasn't interested. But I think that she was under the impression at some point that she would lose her job if she didn't go to this wedding with Mm. him. And she was super concerned because she was getting closer to her due date. The baby was like almost seven months old by that time. And she was like, let me just do him this favor. And here's he is on the other end going, I'm going to get this young, hot girl to come with me to the wedding. She's going to show up on my arm and I'm going to look like the man. But she's seven months pregnant. She's yeah, almost seven months pregnant. Her family is like, don't do it. 
do not go to this wedding with this yeah. guy. He's a creep. He's been bad to you so far. He's, you know, he's bad news. I have a bad feeling about this. Don't go. And she's like, no, no, no. You know, oh, I, no. I need to help stick up for this underdog. And I'm going to do this for him as a favor. And then when we get back, everything will be fine and blah, blah, blah. Oh, no. Um, and she's determined to be nice to him no matter what. And in the meantime, though, <laughs> he is super, super creepy. And... Um, he's assuring her, you know, come to this wedding with me. It'll be good for you to get out. You can relax. There's a beach. It's going to be at this beach resort. The whole, the whole family and the wedding party is going to be at this really nice resort. You'll get your own room. You'll get to relax, sit back, watch TV. It'll be good for you to get away. And so she's like, okay, you know, maybe that doesn't sound so bad. So August 18th, 2012 comes and Elisa packs her things. She's preparing to stay at this resort in Sturgeon Bay called Sand Bay Beach Resort. It's on a lake and it looks super chill and safe on Lake Michigan. And she's assured that the sleeping areas for her and Brian would be separate. So she's kind of like, all right, this is going to be fine. The next day, though, she calls her mom and dad and implies that they're in the same room. So essentially, he lied to her. Yeah. Number one, they don't have separate rooms. And number two, the rest of the family isn't staying at this resort. The wedding party mm -hmm. isn't at this resort. They're there by themselves. And they get into this huge argument. And Elisa assures her mother that she's coming home after the wedding and that this relationship is over, that Brian is crazy, that you know whatever friendship she had with him, whatever she tried to do to be nice to him is done. She's yeah. not going to do it anymore. And... She's like, just, I just have to make it through the wedding ceremony and then I'll come home and this is done. But in the meantime though, her mother and her stepfather had fully decorated a nursery and planned this surprise for her when she returns home. But on the day that Alyssa is scheduled to come home, she never shows up. Was there even a wedding? There was a wedding. Okay. Okay. Soon the family's notified that Alyssa and her unborn child have been murdered. Oh my God. But how? And what happened? So August 19th, 2012, Brian Cooper drives to a small gas station in Wisconsin about an hour from the Sand Bay Beach Resort and he asked the attendant on duty to call 911. During this call, he calmly admits to murdering Alyssa Bromfield in their hotel room the previous night. He claims he left her in the room after murdering her and he confesses on the 911 call and number one, can you imagine being the attendant? It's like standing there as he's mm -hmm. confessing to murder, like on the phone with 911. Um, but when the 911 operator attempts to find out what happened, Cooper says he wants to wait until the police get there. And in the meantime, though, Elisa's parents have a suspicion, or Elisa's mother has a suspicion that something is wrong. And Cooper waits for about a half an hour for the police to arrive and He's continuing to chat the entire time. And you can hear the audio of his confession and him just chatting it up like he's totally calm most of the time. And then they get him to the police station and they get him into this confession and like start trying to like pull the information from him and he's like bawling his eyes out. And he's covered in scratches, scrapes, and bite marks where Alyssa tried to fight him off. But during police questioning, Cooper tells officers that he and Alyssa were coworkers who were somewhat dating, quote unquote, somewhat dating, which is a total lie. Mm -hmm. 
And he had also told numerous friends that this was his girlfriend, even though she never said anything like that. And she made it known to everyone that was in the hearing distance that she had zero interest in him and that being with him physically was distasteful. So Cooper admits that he and Alyssa um, had a fight prior to the wedding over how much free time she would be allowed to have. And she thought the trip would be relaxing and she'd be allowed to do what she wanted and watch TV, etc. And he made it clear almost immediately this was not the case. And this is what created this blow How much free time she would be allowed Yeah. And I'm not clear whether that meant how much free time she would be allowed to have at the wedding or how much free time she would be allowed to have once she had the baby. Either way, allowed to have. In any case, it's like it caused this huge blow up between them. And she's just like, I'm done. I've had it. We're in the same room. We don't have separate rooms. You lied to me. We're not friends. Yeah. This is done. As soon as we get home, she said, we're going to stick around because your sister's getting married and he was supposed to walk his sister down the aisle. And so she convinces him to stay because he was like, okay, fine, we'll leave now. But she's like, no, you promised your sister you would be for her, here for her and walk her down the aisle. You're going to follow through with that. And we're going to go home tomorrow and there's going to be no further contact between the two of us outside of work. Wow. And he's super distressed by this. And... Eventually, he agrees to stay, and but she's made it clear, you know, I'm done. And, and that's she, all according to him, right? Yeah. Yeah. And after the reception that they went to that night, they are back in the room. She goes to sleep. And on the night of the murder, he is drinking super heavily. And he's, like, pacing and trying to think about what he wants to do. And he's looking at cords and kind of pulling them underneath the bed, like phone cords and different things that he can use, he says, to tie her up. That he didn't have any intent to hurt her with it, but he was just going to tie her up to get her to listen because she's, like, not hearing him. She's being unreasonable, so I need to confine her to make her listen to me. Yeah. It's a strategy. Drinking and drinking and drinking, and then he goes back to the bed, and she rolls over and kind of wakes up, and he's like, well, you know, gives it one last shot. You know, you promised me we were going to go watch movies on Sunday when we get back. And I just want to make sure that we're still going to be able to do to watch movies together when we get back. And she's like, no, dude, did you not just hear me? Yeah. This is done. I'm done. And at that point, he like snaps. And he claims he was drunk and didn't know what he was doing. But he basically rolls her over and jumps on top of her. And he had eventually, or excuse me, he initially thought about tying her up. But... He starts strangling her. And this was after his last ditch effort to maintain their friendship. She's in the meantime, he's strangling her and he's on top of her and she's begging for her baby's life. Yeah. And she's fighting him and screaming and hitting him and biting him. And they roll off the bed and he continues strangling her until she dies along with her baby on the side of the bed. He then says he covered her with a blanket put a pillow under her head and left her in the middle of the hotel room where he went and slept in the bathtub that night. He woke up early the next morning, drove an hour away to the gas station before having the attendant call the police for him. But when they look at the evidence after this whole thing went down, after he called the police and they took him into custody, they see that what he said was a complete lie. Brian Cooper had taken her clothing off and raped her after (gasps) she died. Because he wanted to see her naked. Oh, my God. Yeah. Super creepy. He said that he took his clothes off, too, and did what he wanted to do with her all along. And that was to be intimate with a woman who wanted nothing to do with him physically. So, unfortunately, like, he says he just had 
you know, kind of ejaculated on her, but that isn't true either. They found his DNA all over her body, even in her colon and in her vagina. So, like, this guy, like, is just a disgusting, creepy piece of crap. But that's not all. Um, He'd been watching her for years before this Wisconsin wedding trip. He had put cameras in his bathroom, hidden cameras. So when she came to feed his dogs, he was filming her the whole time. He also put a camera in the hotel room so he could watch her naked when she was getting in and out of the shower or going to the bathroom. Oh, my God. So, like, complete douchebag creep. He also claimed that he tried to commit suicide after he killed her with a butter knife and a wine opener. And they look at him and they can see that he only has a few tiny little scratch marks, which very well could have been from Alyssa right. fighting him off, right? It's just so gross to hear his phone call. He has a call with his mom that's recorded as well from the prison. And she's like, oh, this is, this is just a mistake. And, you know, I don't know what, why this happened, but it's got to happen for a reason. And everyone here supports you. And the sheriff respects you. And it's just, I wanted uh, to throw uh, up when I heard it. It's like, you know, no, no. He killed this woman and her baby. Like, yeah. no. Fullest extent of the law needs to get thrown at this man. But people that are involved in this actually think this wasn't Cooper's first incident. The groom's family at the wedding even said they think he'd killed before. Whoa. So they were like, nope. This guy's super creepy. Everything and he did is disgusting. And this would be the brother-in-law's family. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and throughout the whole thing, Brian refused to accept any responsibility. He claimed he was drunk and therefore not responsible. Well, given the way his mom talks to him, I'm not surprised. No. And the thing was, Wisconsin allowed sort of a mitigating factor for um, intoxication, for voluntary really? intoxication. Yes. Um, in the past, Brian had also tied up another one of his girlfriends in Chicago, held, holding her hostage. And she didn't press charges, which, again... Like, what the hell? If she would have pressed charges, maybe this murder would have never happened. Right. I have a question. Mm-hmm. This may be something you're getting to, but is there not a way that they can prove that he took her across state lines with the intent to commit a murder? Yeah, but they... I'll get to it in just a second. Okay. There's no... They couldn't prove any premeditation. Okay. okay yeah. Okay. Or that he intended to murder her. I think he thought in his little twisted mind that he was going to convince her to be with him. Like on a romantic getaway? And so for him... Getaway. Yeah, I don't think any violence was ever intended by him. I don't think that he was uh, he ever thought anything would happen. I think he thought he was going to convince her to be with him. Okay. But in any case, Brian Cooper was charged with two counts of first-degree murder and a third-degree sexual assault charge when he went to trial. Um, and as crazy as it sounds, the first trial resulted in a hung jury. It appears that some people thought that being drunk was enough of an excuse to violate the murder charges, and they did find him guilty of the sexual assault charges. The sticking point was the premeditation, as I mentioned earlier. It seems like there was confusion because some of the jury members believe that days of planning was required, but in reality, premeditation can happen with enough time with ample chance to change your mind. So they misunderstood so the jury seconds. instruction. Yeah. Yeah. They didn't understand what premeditation meant. They thought that it had to meant you, you spent days and days planning, right. but it can just be, it can be a couple of minutes. Yeah. If you have enough time to change your mind, then it's still be, it can still be considered premeditation. Yeah. Essentially, it has to be not a crime of passion that happens on the spot. But they didn't quite understand that, so it ended up in a hung jury. The second trial for 36-year-old, by that point, Brian Cooper, happened in 2014, and he was found guilty of all counts after only an hour of deliberation. He got two life terms without the possibility of parole on July 24th, 2014. 
So what's interesting about this case as well is that Alyssa's family lobbied to have voluntary intoxication banished as a defense to criminal trials. Yeah. Which is what he used essentially was saying that I got drunk. I don't remember what happened. I'm not responsible for my actions because I got drunk. Um, in the aftermath of Alyssa's death, her parents created the Purple Project to help financially support single mothers and provide grief counseling and retreats for parents who are mourning the loss of a child. So they really kind of um, did good things despite this bad outcome in this case. Wow. Um, Alyssa's mother also sued Home Depot and the third-party flower care company that Alyssa worked for. Um, she alleged that both parties ignored complaints against Cooper and that they failed to notice a pattern of misconduct and violent tendencies and that no action was taken to investigate or monitor Cooper. She was seeking unspecified punitive and compensatory damages in the wrongful death lawsuit. Brian had been witnessed and ordered to anger management classes by his management team, and there was no follow-up. Mm. So the trial for that um, was initially, the case was rejected um, and dismissed. But then the appeals court actually overturned that and remanded it back to the trial court. And that was December, excuse me, that was 2000, March 2017. They remanded it back to the trial court. But I couldn't find any updates after that. Huh. I did a search for the updates on that. So they determined that the case could move forward. Maybe it's still in the, the court system now, but I didn't see any updates after March 2017. Okay. Interesting case, though. I mean customers, coworkers, yeah. people saw this guy and still Home Depot didn't take any punishment, didn't punish this guy. Yeah. Like how does that, how's that allowed to happen? How is he allowed to keep being her supervisor? I would imagine like Home Depot is trying to get out of it and say like it was the responsibility of that third party contractor. Probably. But like that's what's going back and forth. But both you know. of them are a party to the suit, the third party Absolute, contractor yeah. and Home Depot. Yeah. So neither one was dismissed and they're both held responsible and liable. Because the third party conduct or contractor can say that they didn't necessarily know because they were working in the Home Depot environment. So the Home Depot people right. should have been responsible for the action, seeing as how they were the ones that witnessed the mistreatment. Right. But it's interesting. Um, if I do see any updates, I will let people know, but it is just awful that he just so cavalierly got in, just killed this woman and her baby and just was like, Oh my bad. I was drunk. I don't remember, but he clearly recalled the facts and everything playing up to yeah. the event. So like he couldn't have been that drunk. Yeah. But, and to even use that as an excuse to kill somebody because they don't want to be your girlfriend is just disgusting. Yeah. Anything else you want to add? I, there I are no see, words I, I can't even like I, and then like to to do the things that he did after so like he he tried he to make her violated quote, unquote, her well that but but in terms of how he left her in the room he tried to make her quote unquote comfortable he covered her up with a blanket like he tucked her in yeah and gross. then he drove an hour away to confess like it just it's it, such a weird case yeah it's like, such a it's weird just, case None of that says heat of the moment. I didn't, no. I'm not aware of what I was doing. Today. No, no, absolutely not. Yeah. Um, and I agree with that as well. Like, I don't necessarily think that he was saying it was a heat of the moment of passion. I think he was saying, I was drunk. I'm not responsible for my actions. That, like, the, the idea that anyone tried to use that, try and use that as an excuse is 
Like, I don't even let my friends get away with that when they, like, act like a-holes when they're drunk. He was setting it up right from the beginning, though. You can hear his confessional audio tapes where he's like, oh, yeah, I was drinking heavily, and I was trying to figure out what I was going to do, and oh, yeah, I was drinking. Uh, did I mention I was drinking heavily? Oh, yeah. Yeah, see? Hey, like, that's remember not... that one time I told you I was drinking? Remember, add that there. I was drinking really a yeah. lot, heavily. So yeah, he that's was, not like... Yeah, you could see he was trying to be able to use that as an excuse Mm-mm. like right, right from the jump. But anyway... Um, her family ultimately did get justice for it. He got two life sentences for that. Um, it's just annoying that they had to go through two trials and taxpayers had to pay for it twice in order to yeah. get a conviction. So were they able to get voluntary intoxication removed as a mitigating yes. factor? Okay. Yes. They changed the legislation. Unfortunately, though, his case was grandfathered right. in. And so they had to weigh Everything in after that. and give him that as an allowable defense but the jury right. didn't buy it in the second case they were just right. like nope deuces going to jail bye see ya never coming yeah. out so um wow. deep case very very sad case um she had a promising future she was into true crime she'd probably seen cases like this and end up being the victim herself it's just so very very sad mm-hmm that's why I want to end it on a little bit of a positive note. Um, I don't know if you saw this video that came out. This is like, it went viral. Video of bees working together to open soda bottle has Twitter users buzzing. No, I've Did not you see seen this? That. So it's <laughs> footage going viral on Twitter shows two busy bees working in concert to pop the top on a bottle to get at the sweet Fanta inside. According to the video licensor Viral Hog, the moment was captured last week in Sao Paulo, Brazil. Now everyone is buzzing about it on social media. Just Google it. You'll see it. It's so adorable. Is it like a pop top or like a twist off? Let me show you. It's just, it's so crazy. You see it and you're just like, I cannot believe that just happened. You're going to have to you see it. it? I no, I can't see anything. Just Google it. Bees okay. opening Fanta bottle. Okay. They're literally, it's, it's a twist top. It's a plastic twist top bottle. These two bees open the freaking, you're just, you're going to be like, what? Seriously? Right, me... What? <laughs> I know, they're so strong. <laughs> they muscled it off. They were like, let's do this. We got it. Teamwork. That's so smart. They're adorable. Oh, these little guys. Little worker probably bees. Be drinking. <laughs> they probably shouldn't be drinking soda. No. It's probably not, not the best thing for the little bee diets. But if you get a chance to go like Google and check out the video, um, bees working together to open Fanta bottle. Cause it's so adorable. I like an orange soda though. But you know, it's kind of a feel good moment to end a sad episode on. Um, if you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, you can shoot us an email. We're at the BFD podcast at gmail.com. Uh, you can give us some cr- constructive criticism, kind notes, anything you want to maybe corrections. I don't know. Um, any one of those things. We'll put the, the email address into the show notes as well as all the sources that we used for the show today. And Darcy, what is our social media? Yeah, we are at the BFD podcast on Twitter and Instagram. Um, so I'll post that video on Twitter too of the bees. Okay, awesome. Yeah. We try to post pictures every week, but lately I've been very bad. I have to apologize. Things have just been so crazy and um, I've just been very, very busy. And so I'm so sorry for 
not posting regularly. I'm trying to be better about it, but it's been challenging lately. And you can rate, review, and subscribe on any one of the platforms you use. It is very, very important for us that folks do that for us. It helps us pop up earlier on searches and it gives people lots of information about our show and helps us to expand our listening audience as well as provides us with kind of a groundwork to improve our shows or provide the content that people are looking for. And please join us again next week when we talk more about weird, wacky, and wild cases. Good night, podcast peeps. Stay safe, keep it real, and always live your very best life. Bye. Bye, guys.